So my name is Max Nolan. I'm a research scientist at Brainco. And Brainco is a brain-machine interface startup. We were incubated in the Harvard Innovation Lab. And over the past few years, we've been developing some wearable technology for the education and healthcare spaces. And the premise behind our company is if we can access this data that is uh, that has been previously unavailable, it's data that's coming out of your brain, then we can leverage it in some unique ways uh, to create value for, uh, like I mentioned, you know, different learners or educators, and then also there's some healthcare applications as well. And you have, I mean, as soon as you open up your website, you have some quite intriguing photos or mm -hmm. sort of video anyway mm -hmm. of, um, I think as far as I can tell, like various members of a family using your devices. Um, that's what it looks like. Anyway, yeah. maybe I've misinterpreted that. They could be um, a family. They could. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe describe the kind of the, the, uh, I think you've got like two series of products mm -hmm. sure. and what you have within those series and then what they're designed for. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to go about it. So, uh, one series is called the focus series and for focus are, um, concentration is on education. Uh, and we have two different working models to help education. One is an at-home model called Focus Family, and one is a classroom model called Focus EDU. And the premise is we know student engagement is so important to learning. If you're not engaged, you're not going to be learning. And in fact, there have been some studies that show if you can just crank up student engagement by 1%, down the road, you get reading outcomes increasing by 6% and math outcomes increasing by 8%. And we also know that student engagement is really low. Uh, the majority of students are either disengaged or, uh, or actively disengaged during class time. So we know that engagement is low. We know that it's really important. We also know that it's kind of hard to measure beyond teacher intuition or surveys. So we're using our wearable product, which is a lightweight headband that senses the subtle electrical signals coming out of your brain. And we're using these small electrical signals to uh, detect attention or engagement in the classroom. And from this information, we can feed it back to teachers. We can feed it back to students. We can feed it back to administrators to help them understand what type of teaching methodologies are really engaging their students. So that's the, the broad strokes for the classroom version. And the at-home version is a similar technology, but it's a an app on your smartphone where you get this type of information feedback. You also get some assessment games and some training materials to help students improve the five dimensions of attention. Okay. And so the, the, um, the, the, the Lucy is quite different. So let's, yeah. let's carry on with sure. the focus to begin. So with, with, Lu with Lucy, we're targeting a more medical, uh, yeah, let, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to Lucy in a bit because oh, okay. they sure. are, sure. they are quite different, but just a bit more on the focus. Yeah. So, I mean, I, without needing, I guess, a, a background in, uh, neurology, maybe I yeah. think yeah. neurology, yeah. I'm not sure. What, what exactly are you monitoring sure. and how do you know that that information is a reliable indicator of focus? Right. So there's actually a pretty easy way to understand the foundation of the technology that we're using. And uh, the way I like to describe it is by pointing out that your brain has about 100 billion neurons in it, and they communicate uh, through small electrical signals. Now, one of these neurons firing, it's impossible to measure that tiny electrical signal unless you have an electrode that's inside 
uh, your brain right up against that neuron. But luckily for us, when your neurons fire, they set off a chain reaction to the neurons around them. And when about one million or so neurons fire in unison, the signal is big enough that it travels all the way to your scalp. So, you know, your skin. And that's where our sensor is. Our sensor is just resting on your forehead. And so we can pick up these electrical signals that communicate information from clusters of neurons. And based on how your neurons are firing, we can detect different states of attention. And uh, that's also pretty easy to understand. It's kind of intuitive. You would imagine that while you're sleeping, your neurons aren't firing too quickly. They're kind of at rest. You know, you're asleep. Uh, but once you wake up, uh, they're firing a bit quicker. If you're awake, but with your eyes closed, you get a certain signal because you're not processing information the same way as if your eyes were open. When your eyes are open, but you're at rest, we get a different type of signal. And if you're really engaged with something, your neurons are firing quite quickly uh, because there's a lot of processing uh, going on in your brain. If you're doing mathematics uh, or if you're uh, trying to comprehend some sort of reading material versus if you're just kind of hanging out, uh, you know, daydreaming or just kind of in a relaxed state. So the speed at which your neurons are firing and the strength at which they're firing gives us clues into what type of cognitive state you're in. Okay. And I guess then the intention of that is that the teacher can uh, suggest the class takes a break or adjust what they're doing and doing something more active or more yeah. uh, kinetic learning instead of reading or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you just touched on something really interesting that we've been exploring, uh, which is it's not only about increasing attention or increasing engagement. You said, you know, maybe the kids need to take a break or something like this. And that's the other the other end of the spectrum that we're trying to leverage. If we can create really effective breaks where you can actually see the students' brains going into this restful state, that's going to be just as useful as trying to make sure that they're engaged or that they're using their uh, cognitive abilities during other tasks as well. And uh, I mean, uh, what is this? Is this based on uh, broad research, or is it based on specific research that BrainCo has done? So the technology we're using is called EEG, electroencephalography. Okay. Yeah. Right, and so EEG has been around for about a hundred years. Um, and so there's a lot of research uh, being done on sleep, on epilepsy. Uh, there's more research being done on ADHD using uh, EEG and some other cognitive uh, cognitive conditions. Um, so we're basing our uh, technology on uh, this strong foundation of EEG research. Um, and actually, there was a, a study done by NASA uh, in the 90s where they looked at the engagement of pilots while they were flying. And to make sure that they didn't get too unengaged or too hyper aroused, too vigilant, they would modulate the autopilot features as the pilot was flying the simulator. So if they became too engaged, which might indicate they're becoming a little overwhelmed, the, the flight would go on autopilot. Or if they became too disengaged, uh, then the autopilot features would turn off so that they had to be a bit more active. And so we actually used them from that research study as an inspiration for the, the product that we built. It's actually interesting to hear the thought of someone being too engaged. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like uh, it's a bit like if there's too many things going on around you, it's hard to process everything in a in a helpful yeah, way. Yeah, true. I, we all have had those moments where we're just overwhelmed absolutely by, by senses and things. Right, yeah. right. Huh, fascinating. Um, and I mean, when it comes to the family model, why 
Why would you want to use that, do you think? What would be the, the reason that a family would want to to use these? You know, there are uh, certain populations of people that are looking to uh, improve their attention abilities or gain a better understanding about, um, you know, the neurological processes that are going on while they're learning or otherwise. Uh, for the U.S., I am anticipating that people with attention deficits are going to be the main users. Uh, but in other markets where Brainco is entering, for example, in China, there's a huge emphasis on extracurricular educational training. Um, and so we're thinking that product is going to um, be useful for the families looking to give their child an edge on improving certain, certain functions that can help them uh, with different educational outcomes. Do you foresee that being a problem in any way of like especially children being subjected to the sort of over monitoring and overzealous parents? Um, <laughs> you know, it's a really, it's a really good question that we, you know, we have to ask ourselves and it. The answer is different based on where you look. So for example, in the United States, the product is not going to look the same as it's going to look in China. And that's because there's just different cultural values around education for example, there's a lot of spending on the extracurricular training for education to help their kid to help you know in the, in China to help students improve their educational outcomes. And in the U.S., it's a little different. And so we're kind of taking this into consideration. Uh, in one way specifically, um, a lot of people see the education version and uh, immediately think that uh, it's a bit too big brothery. You know, we're looking to see what types of kids are engaged, and it's important for us to let people know that this is a tool for teachers so that they can improve the way that they convey their material or make sure that maybe kids who need some special attention get that special attention. It's not about evaluating the students. It's about helping teachers improve the way that they teach and getting this type of feedback that, that's otherwise uh, pretty hard to get. So it's actually interesting what you say there about the, 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 the monitoring aspect. I mean, I guess one aspect is design. At the moment, the device is fairly noticeable, um, and it does look a bit strange. I guess, as is, as is anything, we will get used to it, or and also it'll probably shrink down over time, of course, and be less. It's not intrusive, but it's noticeable. But also, what are the uh, precautions and what are the guarantees that you put in place to show uh, students and their families, I guess, especially that? It, this is just used by the teacher and nothing else is happening to this data. It's not going to yeah, health insurers or. Yeah. So have we have doubled down on our efforts for data privacy and security. Um, it's something that we were, that we were thinking about. Uh, but then um, there was a, a pretty critical article written about us about this topic. And so it made us take a step back and go, okay, like we really need to put a lot of emphasis on it. So uh, we did that and we're, we're working with some education technology advisors and we did a company wide training on data privacy and security so that everyone is uh, certified on the most up-to-date pra best practices. And we're also working with uh, a couple different law firms on making sure that all of our governance documents, all of our uh, data breach protocols, um, all of our terms of service, everything is as, uh, you know, as, as appropriate and as, as protective as they need to be to make sure that this is used for the proper reasons. And there's no, um, you know, there, there can't be any concern about the data being used in any, any type of inappropriate way. Otherwise, you know, the product's just not going to be that useful to people. Uh, so this is definitely on the forefront of our mind and something that we're thinking about every day.
Bearing that in mind, and bearing in mind, uh, especially I suppose the school use case. Um, I'm not sure what schools are like in the US, but in various countries they can be almost like government institutions in their kind of desire for um, self reliance. I suppose. So, is the data going to a central cloud, or is it? Can it be run on a private cloud within the school and things like that, or is it? Yeah, it, yeah, it, okay. it can. And also there's different layers of data. So for example, the way that you treat data that has uh, more identifiable information is different than the way you need to treat data that that is de-identified. So no matter what, nobody could figure out whose data this is. And it's just used for research purposes to try to improve uh, the product or get a better understanding of learning outcomes. And so the way that each of these classes of data is treated is, is different to make sure that you know people's identities are, are protected. And it's also, I think, a good time to mention that you know we're measuring attention in the classroom. Uh, you really can't use this sensor to extrapolate beyond that. You can't identify uh, any type of diagnoses. Uh, you can't identify anybody's identity by this data. It's really just, you know, are you low, high, or medium attention, something, you know, around this range. Um, so, we, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those products where there's a really strong potential for, uh, for using it for a lot of value, but it's also important to make sure people understand what it can and can't do. So let's move on to the the Lucy, the Lucy series. Uh, maybe you briefly explain what the Lucy is, and then I'll uh, I'll uh, give my some give some thoughts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I'll do a, I'll do the the quick intro. So the quick intro is uh, for people with ADHD. There's uh, sometimes a distinct um, uh, deficit in certain uh, brain activity, and if you use something called neurofeedback, which is the principle of giving positive reinforcement when someone demonstrates a more focused brain state. You can encourage someone or train someone to enter that brain state more reliably and more consistently. And so there's been a couple decades of research on using neurofeedback to reduce the symptoms associated with ADHD by improving a certain brain activity. Now, like with any type of intervention, not every single study is... Uh, super profound, uh, but there is a lot of growing traction for uh, this type of intervention. So the the premise of Lucy is to help people with ADHD train their brain to reduce some of the symptoms associated with attention deficits. And the way that we're we're doing this in a kind of innovative way is most neurofeedback happens on a computer or on a, you know some sort of video game, something like that. And we've we're, we've definitely developed a couple of those. But the other innovation we're going for is what if this training could involve controlling the electronics around you in your home? So the video you may have seen involved people uh, interacting with different types of electronics like lights or a uh, robotic hand or things like this. So we're actually integrating the neurofeedback training into real world electronics. It's actually interesting because, I mean, in both, in both of the products you've, but uh, especially with the Lucy, you've, your, what you've explained that the reasoning behind the, the product is not mentioned on the main product page. Um, to me, it looked like a kind of a cool way of controlling things with your, with your brain, which we'll come to in a bit more in a minute, but you've not mentioned the ADHD on the product page at all. Is that, you, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's for a specific reason. Yeah. So, um, you can't mention certain medical indications, oh, right. okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, in certain situations. So, um, we're, 
We have a ethics board approval to do our first in-house clinical trial to help people with ADHD. Uh, but until you go through the full uh, FDA process, you can't claim anything about any type of medical condition. So it's just a attention training uh, product. But then once we're complete through the full FDA process, then it becomes something to treat um, ADHD. On the flip side of that, myself as a person who doesn't have ADHD, can, can I buy a Lucy just to control my lights? Or- uh, you can. <laughs> it's definitely possible. Yeah. And we, we were doing some demos at CES yeah. where we had Amazon Alexa yeah. hooked up to uh, some uh, humidifier, a curtain that had a motor and also a light. And you use Alexa to select what device you want to interact with. And then your attention drives that device in one way or another. Um, and right now, it's more of a fun way to interact with electronics. It's not a uh, quick way to yeah to turn things on or turn things off. It's more like a training a training interface. Yeah, right okay, now. fair enough. I've also seen some demos of like eye tracking, and it's similar. It's amazing, but fairly unusable right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, I mean, this is interesting. So there's a there's a book I have mentioned on. on the podcast and the articles several times and I actually want to reread it because I've mentioned it so many times to people called Make It So. Um, no one's ever heard of it. <laughs> and, I'm looking it up. Right yeah, now. and it's about uh, kind of how science fiction has inspired interface design and vice versa. It's a few years old now, but one of the aspects, of course, is around uh, brain control. Um, and I guess the issue has always been, you know, how do you parse out what is an active activity versus just what you could classify as noise in the brain, you know, well, not what you actually actively want to do right now. And I suppose it's interesting because you've already said you're using this specifically as a kind of attention training. Um, so it, I guess it, it trains you to, to focus your mind, but still there's going to be other things going on. So I guess to, to a lay person, how, how do you identify those, um, those yeah, areas of the, the brain or the, I, I'm not sure what the right terms are that are actually the ones. I know you're getting at. Yeah. Them. yeah. So um, remember the example I gave where when you're asleep, you know, maybe your neurons are not firing so quickly. You're awake. They're a little bit faster and then you're highly focused. They're firing at a faster rate. So there are standard, what are called frequency bands. So from zero to four Hertz is a band called Delta. From 4 hertz to 8 hertz is theta, and there's alpha and beta. And these are just a, a framework for understanding the speed at which your brain is firing uh, on, on an average. And so what we do for attention training is look at these different frequency bands and give encouragement when we see some of them, and then don't give encouragement when we see other ones. And in this way, you're, you're getting the person to uh, activate the frequency bands associated with attention. And I mean, you have some examples here of like smart home appliances. So turn a light on and off is, I mean, conceptually to me, something quite simple. But you also have robotics with the theory, a drone. I saw some photos of drones too. Like, you know, the principle of a, a drone or a robot can be go, the, the principles to control it are a lot vaguer. So what's the, I mean, at the moment, like what's the level of, of detail you can get to? So uh, there's a couple different levels. One is just using your attention as a binary switch. So we set a certain threshold, and when your attention, uh, as measured by your brain activity, reaches a certain point, it will turn the light on, and when it goes underneath a certain threshold, then it will turn the light off. 
And so this type of binary switch can really be used for any type of uh, Wi-Fi enabled product. Um, and then there's also another layer example. We have a light uh, that has, it's an LED light. So it has all these different colors it can make. And based on this attention spectrum, one end being really relaxed, really drowsy, nice and relaxed. And the other end being highly attentive and somewhere in between, uh, the, the light will do, you know, different types of colors or different patterns, something like this. Um, there have been some studies and they were using, uh, more electrode sensors, but the people, I think within about, uh, some period of training were able to pretty reliably enter, I think it was eight different states based on this kind of attention spectrum. So they would ask them to enter, you know, uh, one, out of t one out of eight, uh, they would ask them to go to a six and they would see the cursor on the screen and using their attention, they would get into, uh, you know, block number six. I think it was probably in, in less than 10 seconds with, with, a, with a certain degree of training and a certain degree of accuracy. So the more you train or the more direct your feedback is, you can actually get better at, at entering these different states, which kind of opens up the possibility of, uh, more uh, modes of control. It's actually quite fascinating the way you sort of quite casually there almost, you know, illustrate the fact that the the levels in a brain can be digitized and simplified. Um, well, yeah. it's, it's a, the reason <laughs> it's, a, it's yeah. a matter of yeah. fact about the technology. So there's so much data, like I said, a hundred billion neurons. And when we're using surface level EEG, so we're using, uh, the sensors that are on your scalp, you know, we're picking up the broad averages of large areas of your brain. If you wanted to get a more precise look, uh, that typically involves going a little deeper into someone, you know, in, into someone's uh, body, maybe like invasive sensors or things like this. And the more invasive you get, the more precise you can get information. But of course, then it loses its uh, usability. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I guess, where are you in terms of uh, development with both lines of products? So with the Focus product, we have a, um, a distribution deal with this Chinese company, and they've placed an order for $4 million worth of product, which is uh, several, several thousand uh, units. And we're going to be delivering that order over the next uh, few months. And that's going to be for the for the education market. For the U.S. market, we're working with some... Uh, education technology leaders to help us understand where our technology can provide the most value for the U.S. And we're planning on launching in the U.S. market uh, later this year. And then for the Lucy product, uh, like I mentioned, we have the ethics board approval to do our first clinical trial. And we're aiming to have that to uh, start that uh, probably in the springtime or summertime. You're pretty busy with these these orders right now i guess but sort of in the next six months to 18 months what's the what's the, your roadmap what's what's coming next so it's the exploration of the education market it's the continuous development for the adhd market and then it's also exploring what are the other applications for uh, improving sleep or um, there are certain applications for meditation or relaxation training that uh, that could be interesting for us or um, there's actually quite a bit of interest in, uh, in the automobile industry, actually. We got approached by a few different automobile manufacturers and parts manufacturers that are interested in this type of technology. Uh, so the, the, the landscape is pretty broad for brain-machine interface and the type of technology we're working on. And it's going to be our job to figure out what space can we enter and provide the biggest impact and the most, the most value. Um, so those are, those are some, some ideas that we have for the... Uh, for the next year or so. And I know it's a vague question because I'm sure the answer <laughs> is it depends, 
but what is uh, like what's an average kind of uh, development life cycle on the your devices? Uh, you, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can use some of the, the two current ones as an indication. Right. So the Focus One was our uh, first product, um, and the the company is we're all quite young. Uh, I think you know, our CEO is thirty. Uh, I'm 27. You know, we came out of uh, a lot of us came out of Harvard and MIT, and uh, to to work on these projects. Um, so Focus One is going to be our first uh, product launch. Uh, though the nice thing is now that we have this hardware and now that we have this wearable as the foundation, we can build other applications on top of it. So while this, this first round maybe, you know, took a, uh, some time, uh, we're aiming to have the other applications out much quicker. And I guess then just in uh, wrap up, like anything we haven't mentioned that you want to make sure is mentioned? Uh, yeah, I'll do a quick plug for for Branco. I think just some interesting points that um, kind of show where the uh, market is going. Um, uh, so in 2016, we raised a five million dollar uh, uh, fundraising round, and then starting in 2018 and wrapping up pretty soon, we're raising uh, 25 million dollar Series A, which is uh, pretty large for a series A. And I think it's an indication that there's a lot of emphasis going into this technology. I know the economist, uh, the journal just featured brain machine interface as, uh, the next frontier of technological development. And Elon Musk launched his company last year. Facebook made this announcement. There's a lot of momentum going in our direction. Um, and in fact, the, uh, the Dean of the Harvard graduate school of education, uh, James Ryan, uh, recently joined our advisory board. And what's special about that is he told us he gets asked all the time to join advisory boards, but uh, we're the first and the only company actually that he's actually agreed to advise because he saw a lot of potential in what we're doing. So we're just seeing a lot of positive signs um, that are that are you know helping us build momentum and uh, and uh, are hopefully going to open the open some unique doors for us uh, as this technology continues to advance. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean... I wonder, actually, I think you're from, as far as I'm sort of aware for hardware projects, uh, that's a reasonable kind of average level of funding, but that is definitely high. Um, how, firstly, were, if, if you could say, were your investors US or they were Chinese? Uh, they are US-based funds. Um, and we also have some Chinese investors as well. So the CEO is Chinese, uh, a large portion of our team is Chinese. And so we do have these really wonderful connections over there that are helping us, uh, make some strides in the development and the expansion. Of the and company. I guess, so how hard was it to, to convince investors of the idea and that it worked and that it would be valuable? Uh, it took a lot. So our CEO, <laughs> Bi Chung Han, has been spending the past several months doing round trips back to and from China constantly. Uh, he's been you know, uh, definitely uh, working hard to, to make these things come together. Um, but I think people are excited at, at the prospect of this technology and, and the, the value that uh, hopefully we can provide with this kind of new approach to education or, or new approach to uh, how we deliver neurofeedback training. 